Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, I've always found to be particularly relevant around the time of New Year's. It's a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi and has a lot to say about the looking back and looking ahead. And so I want to read through Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 14, and take to heart the three lessons that we learn there. So let's begin with just the first six verses of Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence." If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Let me stop there um, and just share the first thing that we learn here, the first lesson we learn about the new year, looking back, looking ahead, from Philippians 3, it's this, that your righteousness, your right standing with God does not depend upon your spiritual resume. It depends upon the gospel. Your righteousness, which means your, right, your relationship with God, your right standing before God, it doesn't depend upon your spiritual resume, what good works you've done, what family you were born into, whether you go to church or not, whether you give to the poor or not, whatever you do, your right standing with God does not depend upon your spiritual resume. It depends upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. That's where he begins. What's going on in this passage is that there are a group of religious teachers known as the Judaizers who are coming into the church and they're teaching that Paul is only giving them half of the gospel. You know, he's been preaching that to be right with God, you need to believe that Jesus died for your sins to receive him as your savior. And they're saying, no, that's just part of it. The other part of it is that then you need to become Jewish. You need to, as if you're a man, be circumcised. That's a sign of the covenant between God and his people. You need to obey the laws of Moses. You need to do all those things in addition to believing in Jesus in order to be saved, in order to be right with God. And Paul says, no, not at all. Do not even listen to them. They are dogs, mutilators of the flesh. He just has all kinds of things to say about them and none of which are good. He says, no, if, if it's about putting confidence in the flesh, in your spiritual resume, and in what you can do in your own power, he says, first of all, I have more than any of you. He says, I am born of the Pharisees, the tribe of Benjamin. I am, with, when it comes to my righteousness, I'm faultless. As for zeal, I was so zealous for God, I was persecuting the church. He says, I, if, I, if anyone has reason to lay out a spiritual resume before God and be accepted by it, he says, I I have more than anyone. It's not about that. It's not about what you've done or haven't done that makes you right with God. It's not Jesus plus becoming a Jew. It's not Jesus plus obeying the law. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's not Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus speaking in tongues, Jesus plus going to this church or that church or belonging to this denomination or that denomination. Righteousness, the right standing with God, only comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. That's Paul's first main point he wants them to know. You're not saved by your good works, by your spiritual resume, by going to church, by any of that. It's by what Jesus has done for you. Let me just share three fantastic passages that'll 
make this clear. Romans chapter 3, verses 20 to 24. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. That's pretty clear, right? I think that's in line with what I've been saying. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Instead of obeying the law to make us right with God, the law shows us how we cannot measure up to God's holy standards. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, there's a way to be right with God that doesn't depend upon how you do at obeying the law, what your spiritual resume looks like. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all, that includes you, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely. Justified means declared righteous, declared not guilty. Freely, by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's a great passage there to sum up what I've been trying to say to you. That Paul is saying, no, these people who are teaching you that it's about Jesus plus doing good works, they are wrong. It's about Jesus. It's about faith in Jesus. No one is going to become right in God's sight by being a good person, by obeying the laws of God, by doing good works. No one is going to stand before God on that day of judgment and present to him their spiritual resume of what they've done and accomplished in their life and have God say, great, you know, you're hired, you're in. It's not the way it's going to work. Instead, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the same thing that Paul was saying in Romans there, right? He said the only way to be right with God is that Jesus lived that perfect life we couldn't live. He was sinless and he died on the cross and he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. His right relationship with God is ours when we put our faith in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Not by anything we've done, not by our spiritual resume, but by trusting in Jesus. He takes our sin, the punishment we deserve, and we receive his righteousness, the right relationship with God. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved. Grace, meaning it's an undeserved gift of God. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Is that clear enough? Those three passages and what Paul has said in Philippians there? He wants to know first and foremost that the only way to be right with God is by trusting in Jesus and what he did for you by his life, death, and resurrection. That is how you enter into a right relationship with God. It is not by your spiritual resume. So anyone who thinks because I've lived a good life Therefore, I am right with God. Therefore, I will enter into heaven. They are mistaken, he's saying. No one on their own good works could ever measure up. It's by grace. And he proves his point by saying, listen, I have a greater spiritual resume than all of you. Born into the right family of the right tribe and the right people, zeal, legalistic righteousness, everything about my resume is great, but you know what? It doesn't measure up. It's not enough. He continues to say in verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing 
greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So not only does he say, my spiritual resume is not enough to make me right with God. Now he says, I consider that a loss. It's like an accounting column. You know, it's gone from assets to liabilities. I consider it a loss instead of a profit compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Because he recognizes that those of us who may think that we've done a lot of good things, we actually might be at a disadvantage because we start trusting in our good works, thinking that because of our spiritual resume, we're right with God. Whereas those who know that they've got no leg to stand on, no good spiritual resume before God are at an advantage because they know that they need the grace of God, right? They know that they are completely dependent upon God's forgiveness. So he says, I'm actually at a disadvantage. This spiritual resume I've built is that it puts me at a disadvantage because I thought I didn't need God. I thought I didn't need forgiveness. I thought I had earned salvation by my good works. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. What's more, he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what I want. His preeminent desire right now, he goes on to say in 3, 12 to 14, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Second thing we learn from this passage. Make knowing Jesus your number one desire. Make knowing Jesus Christ your number one desire. That is Paul in this passage saying everything else, everything else that I was living for, everything else I was striving for is now over here. He says, I consider them rubbish, which is the Greek word skubalon, which is the same word that's used for garbage and dog excrement. I mean, he's using a strong, strong language here to say all these things are now excrement compared to knowing Christ. That's how much value I place in them. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm straining towards what is ahead. And that is my preeminent desire above all other desires. It's to know Christ. He is single-minded in his focus. But I want you to understand, first of all, from verse 12, that he says he's dedicated to knowing him, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, he says. It's not just that I'm going to work up this desire to follow God, but he's responding to something. This desire has come from somewhere. It's come from Jesus' love for him. That is what has stirred up in him, this desire. It's not this, that I'm asking you to like, come on guys, let's get this desire going here. It's more, look at what Jesus has done for you. And the more that you understand what he has done for you, the greater the desire will be in you to go after him and make him your preeminent desire, to want him above all other things, to see in him the treasure above all treasures. 
1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. You know, when, when Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you don't just work up a love, right? Love comes because he first loved us. Love comes when you see him dying on the cross for your sins. This is how the writer of Hebrews put it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Sounds like Paul's language there. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I use this passage often because in this passage it talks about that we should fix our eyes on Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And what was that joy that was set before him? It wasn't the cross, that's for sure. It wasn't death. It wasn't separation from the Father. It wasn't even to make it to heaven because that's where he lived for all eternity. The joy set before him was the one thing that he did not have and that was you. It was restoring you to a right relationship, bringing you back to God. That was the joy that was set before him that allowed him to endure the suffering of the cross. Death and separation from the Father as the Father put his sin, the sin of the world, on him. The more that you see that it was you, that you were the joy set before him that allowed him to endure the cross, that allowed him to go through all of that, that he died for you out of love for you because there was no other way to bring you back to God, no other way to save you from your sins, no other way to give you eternal life. If this does not mean anything emotionally to you, if this not, does not touch your affections, then ask him right now, God, help me to understand this, not just in my head, but in my heart that this might grip my heart and my soul, that I might respond in wholehearted worship and devotion to you as I see you dying for my sins. That I would love because you first loved me. That I would run the race with perseverance marked out for me because of you and your single-minded devotion towards me. Johnny Erickson Tata, you may know who she is. She's a quadriplegic woman who was injured in a, an accident when she was a child. Uh, she's a great author and speaker, though. She wrote a book called When God Weeps, Why Our Sufferings Matter to the Almighty, which was a great book I read when I was preparing for a sermon series a few years back on suffering. She tells a story in that book about a five-year-old named Matthew who volunteered with his parents and his brother at one of Johnny's retreats that she holds for disabled people. She writes how at the end of the retreat, Matthew asked his father, when do I get to have my wheelchair, Daddy? He was, not, he was not disabled, but he was asking for his wheelchair. And she puts it this way. She says, this little boy doesn't need a wheelchair. He has no use for one. But try telling him that. A wheelchair for Matthew would top his Christmas wish list. A wheelchair means a joyride. It also means an initiation into a wonderful club a special group of kids who enjoy a special relationship with Johnny. This five-year-old hasn't a clue about the pain and paralysis, the heartaches and the hurdles. He discounts all of that, disregarding the dark side. All he desires is a chance to be among my best friends, a chance to identify with me, be like me, a chance to know me. And if it means having a wheelchair, great, he'll welcome it. 
that puts this Philippians 3 passage into, you know, in this Hebrews passage, it's just into concrete language. This, this child's laser focus. All I want is to know Johnny and be among her friends. And if that means getting a wheelchair, great, sign me up. Where's my wheelchair? That is a single-minded focus, a single-minded devotion saying, all I want is Jesus. All I want is Jesus. Whatever that means, whatever comes my way, all I want is to know him more. It's what Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. Not explosive, it's expulsive, meaning expelling all other desires as he becomes your preeminent desire, as he becomes the single desire of your heart above all other desires, it's ex- expulsive power of the new affection. The other desires, the other temptations, the other things that draw your heart become less important. That Christ becomes the sun rising in the morning and his light eclipses all the lesser lights, all the other stars, so that all you see is the sun That is what we're talking about here. And that is what I'm praying for you. That is what Paul is trying to communicate in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's what Jesus illustrated in Matthew 13, 44 to 46. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He says, that is what you're called to, a single-minded devotion where everything else, I'm ready to sell it for Jesus. I'm ready to give it all up for him. He is all I want. The amazing thing is that when this happens, when Jesus becomes your preeminent desire, It means that whatever does come your way, that it doesn't have to destroy you. Instead, it can drive you deeper into that desire, right? Death of a loved one, cancer diagnosis, joblessness, loss of money, relational breakdown. There's nothing that can't happen to you that can't push you deeper into that desire to know God more, to know Jesus more, right? I mean, if your desires are focused on the things of this world, then they're always in danger of being taken away. But if your preeminent desire is knowing Christ, then nothing, nothing can get in the way of that. This is what Tim Keller said. He said, if your ultimate love and joy is found in the treasures of this world, then suffering will rob you of your joy and make you sadder and madder. But if your ultimate love and joy is found in God, then suffering will drive you deeper into the source of that joy. I'm encouraging you this New Year's as we look ahead to 2021. God, pray that God would make him the preeminent desire of your heart, that he would help you to catch a glimpse of Jesus dying for you, that it would transform your heart, that he would be the preeminent desire of your heart. It would be the expulsive power of a new affection, that all the other desires would just become secondary to that desire so that no matter what comes your way in 2021, it's not going to destroy you. It's going to drive you deeper into your relationship with him. So the third thing from this passage is this. Forget what is behind and run after what is ahead. Forget what is behind and run after what is ahead. Remember again what he said, verse 14 there. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize 
for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'm not sure what comes to mind for you when I say forget what is behind. I don't know what this past year was like for you or what things still kind of have a grip on you as you're trying to, as the writer of Hebrews said, throw off everything that entangles, you know, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race marked out for you with perseverance. I don't know what's weighing you down. I don't know what is holding you back. What, when I say forget what is behind, comes to mind for you? So that you might make Christ your preeminent desire. But I want to encourage you this morning to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead, to run after Christ and the race he has marked out for you. There's three things in particular it may mean for you. One, it might mean this. Forget those things that once gave you identity and self-worth. This seems to be part of what Paul is getting at in Philippians 3 where he says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I once put my identity in, whatever I once looked to to give my life value and meaning, I now consider that loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. I don't know what you have looked to in your past to put your identity, your self-worth, to go after those things, whether it was your talents, whether it was to go after money, whether it was to go after a job, a career, whether it was to go after a relationship, whether you put your hope, your identity, in your looks, in your reputation, in your friends, whatever it might be. Because whatever was to my profit, whatever I ran after and tried to accumulate, I now consider loss. I'm putting it in the loss column. The only thing I want is to know Christ. Forget what is behind. Forget those things that you once put your identity in. And put your identity in Christ. In what he says of you. Who see he says you are. The second thing it might mean. Forget your sins. Forget the sins of your past. Remember again this passage I shared. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you believe that when God looks at you, if you are in Christ, he sees you as perfect, as perfect as his son. He sees the perfection of Jesus when he looks at you. And so some of you are still being weighed down by the failures and the mistakes and the sins of the past, the things that that drag you down, that keep you from running the race. They have been nailed to the cross. Amen? They've been nailed to the cross. Jesus has taken the punishment you deserve. Let that truth sink in again that it might transform your heart and fill you with joy. The sins are gone. He took them. May it fill you with gratitude, with praise for Jesus. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation that you are perfect in the sight of God. Not because of what you've done, but because of Jesus. Because he took the punishment you deserved. So let that fill your heart with gratitude and joy. And run the race. And then the third, last thing is this. Forget the heights you have already reached. Forget the heights you have already reached. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. I haven't reached there yet. I haven't gotten there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I haven't reached it yet, but I'm pressing on. It's this attitude of I'm not going to rest with my accomplishments. You know, it's, it's, it's that. It's the team that scores a goal and then says, all right, it's 0-0. You know, they're like, forget that goal, you know. 
We're not going to rest. We're not going to rest just because we're winning now. We're going back and pretending it's 0-0, and we're going to keep pushing until we score again. It's that attitude that says, I'm not going to rest with the progress I have made, but I'm going to keep pressing on. I haven't reached the goal yet. And I want to encourage you. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you look back and you say, you know what? I feel like I've made a lot of progress in my faith. I'm in a good place. Do not rest where you are. Do not rest on past achievements. Do not rest on your past relationship. There is so much more of God that you do not know and have not experienced. There is so much more to know. Forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. As you probably know, if you've been listening over the past month, we're encouraging the church to read through the Bible in 2021 and to do it in conjunction with a podcast called The Bible Recap that gives a great daily summary of the, of the reading. Something I started doing back in August, and it's been really good for me to become a daily habit that the first thing now every morning before I check my email, Facebook, ESPN, anything else, first thing is the Bible, reading the Bible. Second thing, listening to that Bible recap before anything else. And now it's become a habit. It's become a, a habit that I desire to do. In the beginning, it was something I did because I was trying to build a habit. Now it's become my desire. But I don't want to stop there. Now, as of this past week, as I started reflecting more on this, the next habit I'm trying to build now is... You know the time when you're like sitting somewhere or in line somewhere and you immediately pick up your phone and go to like scroll or check something. Now I've decided the next habit I need to build is before I do that, it's turn to God first. Okay, before I turn to my phone, turn to God. Spend a little time in quiet, a little time in reflection. Is there anything he wants of me? Anything he wants me to do? Anything he wants me to pray for? And then once I feel like, all right, I'm going to go, then maybe I can check, you know, then maybe I'll scroll, then maybe I'll look into other things. But instead of becoming a habit of, okay, I've got a minute, let's check. Okay, I'm in line, let's check. Okay, here, let, let's stop that and let's instead make it a habit of turning to God. The point is, I need to not rest. I need to not think, okay, now I've reached it. I've got a habit and I'm in good place, a good place, but keep on pressing on, keep on going higher. Lord, take me deeper into your love, into, your, into who you are. Do not rest. Forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. So I encourage you, again, if you haven't already signed up to say, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to be part of a, a discipleship group that is going to do that together. I encourage you to sign up to do that. Let me know if you're interested. We have groups meeting on Monday, a couple on Wednesday, one on Thursday, one on Friday. We'd love for you to join in. Even if you can't do that, you know, then at least do it on your own. But there's a reason in Hebrews it talks about, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles, right? And run the race with perseverance. Because it's, it's the cheering crowd, it's the encouragement of those who've gone before us and those who are with us that helps us to remain faithful along the way. It's better not to do it alone. So I want to just close and ask you to spend a minute in silence reflecting on this sermon before we turn to God and worship. What is it going to look like for you to prioritize him in 2021? What's it going to look like for you to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead? If it starts just by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, then start there. And if you've already done that, then what is it going to look like for you to run the race 
to pre prioritize him, to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. Let me pray. Lord, I do pray that you would speak to our hearts and reveal to us what it is you're calling us to so that we might know you more, that you might be the preeminent desire of our hearts, that we would love you as you have loved us, and that we would have the encouragement and perseverance to run the race that has been marked out for us, to follow you wholeheartedly until the day we die and then we're with you, for, with you forever. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you take a minute in silence and then we'll respond in worship. <laughs>